For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. After exhorting his readers to live humble, other-centered lives, Paul now gives the Philippians a couple of examples of men who illustrate what he's talking about. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Two Role Models. All right, as you take your seats now, we're going to be finishing up the second chapter of Philippians, just a beautiful book. Uh, many Christians say that Philippians is their favorite epistle in the New Testament. I can see why I love this book as well. Many valuable insights. Now let's go to the Lord and ask him for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we have assembled now in your will. You have led our footsteps to this place. You direct um, our paths, Lord, as you uh, will. And surely there are no accidents Um, We're all here together, gathered around this passage uh, for your good purposes, to uh, encourage us, to strengthen, to correct us, to comfort us. We yield our will to yours. Have your way. May the word of God do its work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when you were a kid, did you happen to have a role model of any kind, uh, someone you admired or wanted to be like, you know, and we don't stop having them as children, but um, whatever age, we're people who make an impact on us and we want to kind of be like them in some way, you know, action hero. I remember growing up, I was 10 years old uh, when Neil Armstrong uh, landed on the moon and took those first steps. And of course, me and all my buddies all wanted to be uh, astronauts. And so uh, the 70s, uh, it's kind of a dry decade for when it comes to role models. <laughs> you know, I started thinking, you know, really uh, for girls, I mean, all it was was Farrah Fawcett's hair everywhere, <laughs> you, you, you know, and, and, the, and the guys were just kind of... Um, uh, all Cheech and Chong kind of stuff. It was just, it was not pretty. <laughs> but, you know, uh, once you make a connection with somebody who inspires you, uh, it, it's very valuable. It's like a blueprint or a template that you want to suddenly be dressing like they dress, talking like they talk, walking like they walk, and living like they live, and that's why it's so important. So, of course, the Bible is filled with uh, role models, godly Christians who the Holy Spirit kind of parades in front of us and says, wow, look at that. Imitate that. Wow, that, that's really make, it really rings all the bells in heaven, and this is the, the kind of prototype for all Christians, and God is so faithful to do that. And this morning, as Paul explains what's going on with him there in the prison in Rome, uh, we're going to meet two role models, two model Christians uh, that are going to uh, show us really some invaluable insights into what it means to be really a dedicated, full-on, born-again Christian who's going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because not everybody's going to hear that who is still saved and in heaven. Not everyone gets that. 
only well done, good and faithful servants get that. And so if you need a proof text for that, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And so uh, I'm already preaching before I'm preaching, but here we go. Uh, Some lives we're told in the Bible, see this life, imitate this life. This is your role model. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately is uh, our destiny to be predestined to be made like him as morally pure, as patient, as kind and loving, uh, we watch Jesus and we are supposed to be like him. And uh, then there's the great apostle Paul, who the Bible really says, whatever things you see in him, heard from him, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. But for the most part, the, the Christian role models that we have in the Bible are ordinary men and women uh, who, we're not, who we learn from indirectly. We just watch how they respond to God's love and they excel in some way. And so the Bible says, arrow over this life. Take a look at this because they excel in some kind of sacrificial love for Jesus or uh, a faith that is just believes God like brother Job, you know. Job's got like a highlighter over him, you know. Look at him. He loses everything and he still has an attitude that says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so what a role model he is. And so uh, this morning we're going to see a couple ordinary guys who the Holy Spirit's going to parade in front of us, but just sort of in in an indirect way. We're just going to hear about Paul's travel plans and two guys who assist him. But in those two paragraphs, it's wow, in an indirect way, it's like, wow, those guys, five-star Christians, and it makes you want to be like them. Their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Let's meet them. So he's in prison. He's writing to the Philippians, and here's some travel plans. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own concerns, his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. All right, next guy. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. I'm sending him back to you. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was sick. And indeed he was. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me too. Spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not 
give me. So those are the two lives, two paragraphs that divide quite nicely. Uh, Paragraph one is going to be role model Timothy, and paragraph two is going to be role model Epaphroditus. Uh, Role model Timothy is going to, all you note takers, is going to be his motto, and what we learn about him and why he's a role model is he's a guy who puts God first. He's got that lesson down. God first, me second. And Epaphroditus will be our second half. Um, Epaphroditus' um, MO, this is his, his way of living, is he gives God everything. He just gives it his all. No half-hearted Christianity for him. He is not a mediocre kind of believer. This guy says when he's serving the Lord, he's serving the Lord full bore. So you've got Timothy who puts God first, and you've got Epaphroditus who gives God his all. Now, you might be thinking, now here we are, now we're isolating first the paragraph about Timothy, model Christian. Uh, a little bit of a letdown, a little bit of a, a just kind of a mundane section of scripture because we've been uh, in some lofty, exciting, breathtaking, doctrinally rich scriptures right before this. We've been being called to a selfless life, to, to live as other-centered as Jesus, to consider others better than ourselves. And then he used that breathtaking example of God, the most high God, pouring himself into a human womb and presenting to the world the God-man who humbles himself that even though he's equal to God in every way, he becomes a slave, a servant. For who? For us. And went to the cross not because of his own interests, but against his own interest for our behalf goes to the cross. Therefore, he's highly exalted. He sits on the throne. So we've, we've been like very uh, excited material to study. And now we've got travel plans. You know, we've got the missionary report. It's the newsletter. It's the newsletter. And, and Scholars want to know, why did he go to the newsletter? No, and you talk about, I'm going to send him here. Here's why I'm not sending him, but I am going to send him later. Why is he doing that now? He's still got two chapters to go. Doesn't that go at the end? Not if you're trying to make a point, an illustration about selflessness, putting God first, considering others better than yourselves. Here are two guys who are with me right now who are great examples of what we've been calling you to do. Now, it's one thing to say, imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a part of us that says, yes, of course, I have to. But, you know, he's God. It's sort of no fair. You know, that <clears throat> there's an idea like, well, who could be like that? But Paul and the Holy Spirit, they know that if you show regular, ordinary Christians who, listen, are not perfect, they're not perfect. This isn't about two role models who are perfect Christians. They're two role models who are blameless Christians. They're not perfect morally. I mean, they have flaws and weaknesses. They're not perfect, but they're perfectly submitted. They're perfectly surrendered. That's called the blameless life, you see. So nobody's asking anybody to be perfect. 
But God does ask that we be perfectly surrendered, perfectly 100% his, perfectly always doing what he wants us to do in that way. And of course, there's grace for when we fail. And so, yeah, uh, Karl Barth is the one who comments about this, these two paragraphs, and he says, there's no direct teaching here. Well, yeah, of course. There's indirect teaching, like most of the Bible. Most of the Bible is like that. Creation account, the first opening chapters, there's no teaching there. But there's a lot of teaching there indirectly. We learn the power of God and, and the beauty and the magnificence of God and where we all came from and God's will and, and, and how things fell apart. Oh, there's a lot to learn. And there's no teaching in the last part of Revelation. From chapter 6 to 18 tells how the world ends. There's a lot of chapters, 21 judgments of God that seem to be quickly approaching, by the way, where the world stops and ends human history as we know it. There's like, what, 12, a dozen chapters. There's no teaching in it. Indirectly, that we, we, we know what kind of lives we ought to be living as a result of seeing what God is saying is going to come to pass. And so, yeah, Missionary Plans is a newsletter, mundane, maybe, but it's the word of God. So it, if it's mundane, it's never unimportant. So you'll be surprised of all the teaching that comes out of something that has no direct teaching. <laughs> it's just funny. I find that funny. Obviously, you don't, but that's okay. <laughs> You know, sometimes we just pastors have to amuse themselves. <laughs> you want to know the context here for these two guys? The context is uh, we're going to hear about these guys and their character, and we're going to glean indirectly why they're so, they're, they get a shout-out from the Holy Spirit, ultimately. Uh, but the context is, number one, why Paul will send Timothy eventually, but not now. So we know they're expecting Timothy, so he has to do some explaining, all right? Number two, why he intends to send Epaphroditus right away. They're not expecting that, and so he's going to explain this. So let's get here with Timothy. Clearly, they want to see him, and he says, I'm ho I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. What is that, just the pious way of Christians talking? Well, you know, I hope in the Lord, I love in the Lord, I have confidence in the Lord. These are all statements that Paul has made, all right? What is he saying? Here's what he's saying. And we can glean our first, really, uh, teaching, uh, exemplary, exemplary Christians Factor the Lord and his will into everything we do. He says, if it's, here's what in the Lord means. Because he uses it there in 19. And do you see down, jump down to 24. I'm confident in the Lord. He uses that a lot. What is he meaning? He's just not saying it to sound spiritual. He's saying, everything I do, I'm factoring in, is it God's will? Is it God, God's good purpose here? Uh, what does God want to happen? And so he says, if it's the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's timing, if it fits with the Lord's plan, and he puts that into, he loves in the Lord. What does to love in the Lord mean? Well, I love you in a biblical way to love you. A biblical way to love you is not anything goes. A biblical way to say, I love you in the Lord, means there's theological truth that's important. There's morality I have to love you in the Lord the way God would love you, not the way the world just loves everybody, winks and says whatever you want. 
because that's love. We just affirm you no matter what. You can't, <laughs> truth and morality are related to love, you see? So when he's saying in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord, he's saying this, when you got saved, the Holy Spirit joined you, united your spirit to Jesus Christ by his spirit. Therefore, it makes good sense that everything you're thinking, well, I hope this, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, you're connected now to who? To Jesus Christ. So it's not just about you anymore saying, well, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, I think that's okay. Oh, do you? What about the one you're connected to? That's why he's always saying, in the Lord, in the Lord, in the Lord. Here's a paraphrase from James who just drives this home. He says, look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and start a little business and maybe spend a year or so there. He says, how do you even know what's going to happen tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then poof, it's gone. What you ought to be saying and thinking is if the Lord wants us to, if it's God's will and desire for us to do such and such, then we will. Otherwise, get this, you are just doing your own thing and living life without concern for what God wants, and that would be called evil. You can't get joined to Jesus and then just go on your merry way. I've got fire insurance, I said the prayer, and now I'm going to go do my own thing in life. And that's what a lot of people do, and they're, going, they're headed for a big surprise, amen? So notice with me, uh, I hope to send Timothy to get some encouraging word from you. Listen, Paul, you're in prison. You're in trouble. Don't you want to send a letter to them to tell them all about your troubles? You know, so men of lesser character who are not other-centered... Other centered people just want to know, even though they're in bondage and they're hurting, they want to know, how's the church doing? How are you guys doing? Right? And so uh, men of lesser character would, would say, hey, I want to send Timothy to you to let you know on all the terrible things that are happening to me. Uh, the cell is cold. The guards are so mean to me. Um, I'm hungry. I can't sleep. I'm lonely. And quite frankly, I've got some questions about how God could let this happen to me. <laughs> when, when Paul's on the phone with you, guess what? You're talking a lot because he cares about what you have to say. You're not always, you know, you, you don't pick up the phone. Hi, it's Paul. You know, and then you never get to say anything. In this case, when you're taking a trip with Paul, you're doing a lot of talking because he's genuinely interested in you. And that is the secret to a happy life, to get out of our own heads and our own problems and our own pains and to be other-centered. That's what the Bible teaches, be others-centered. I have a friend I went to see. He had some surgery. It's not the first time I've been to see him. He's in pain, he's in the hospital, and Every single time, he says, how are you? Just like that, by the way. <laughs> how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing fine. You're the one in the hospital. Oh, yeah, so how's Philippians going? Dude, I, I, I forget where I am in the Bible, let alone. Then he says, aren't you in chapter 2? Yes, I'm in chapter 2, but how do you know that? Because I've been listening. I'm following, and I care about you, and I care about the church, and I want to talk about that. Oh, this. 
Well, yeah, the doctor said blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so how are you? Ah, this is what we're talking about here. We haven't even started talking about Timothy yet. Well, wait till you get to him. Well, so it's Timothy. Now, he has to explain, because they're standing here reading this, and guess who's standing there? Epaphroditus. They didn't expect that, and they're not very happy about it. They want Timothy. So he has to explain, why are we reading this? And Epaphroditus is standing here and not Timothy. He says, quite frankly, I need him, if you don't mind. He says, I've got nobody else. There's nobody else like him. He's been serving me night and day. I need this. I need him to be there. So here, wait for it, because here it is, this glowing testimony. There's nobody like him. Nobody? Wow. He stands apart from every other believer. This is what makes him a role model for you and me. He simply isn't uh, anyone, uh, he isn't on, he's not on the same level as any other Christian around. He's a one of a kind kind of guy. Literally, literally, there are hundreds of Roman Christians who could be with him and, and helping him. Paul addresses and greets 26 Roman names at the end of the epistle of Romans. There's hundreds of Roman Christians that Paul led to the Lord. Where are they? <laughs> well, he's going to tell you where they are. He's going to make an indictment against all Christianity and all Christians. He's going to say, generally speaking, generally speaking, most Christians are more concerned with their own needs than God's needs or God's interests or Christ's It says it right there. This is my, not my conclusion. Who's the everybody in the verse that everybody considers their own needs first before God's? That everyone, are, they're Christians. So he's saying, hey, listen, I would love to send Timothy, but I need him right now until I know how this is gonna go with Nero. After that, I hope to send him. And me too. But right now, I need this guy. Well, it's very exciting. I mean, it's just uh, uh, amazing. It's slim pickings to get, get a little help in prison, even if you're the Apostle Paul. Uh, Jesus said, uh, there's lots of work to do, but only a few people want to do it. So pray. Pray to the Lord. Because there's always a lot of work, and there's always a few people who want to do it. And you know, the motto, the few, the proud, the Marines, that's sort of what we got in Timothy and Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and uh, Epaphroditus. These are guys who are few and far between. Now, now he's going to go on to explain what he means by, by this. He says, no one else like him. In the Greek, it means no one else equally sold, S-O-U-L-E-D. No one else has the same heart that I have for the church, right? He's the founding pastor. Nobody loves a church like the founding pastor. I don't care. The new guy comes in. He loves the church. He can't love the church like daddy. Daddy loves the church because daddy started. Daddy's the father of the, the, the movement of that church. And he says, but there is somebody who shares the same way I think about church, the same way I, th I wonder, is so-and-so reading their Bible? Are they walking with the Lord? Did such-and-such such surrender to uh, the, the, the temptation they're fighting? Did that marriage 
uh, stay strong? Uh, did that teenager wander away? He's got that. He cares like I care. He's equally sold. And if he's equally sold to the apostle, he's equally sold to the Lord. He cares about people like the Lord cares about people. Uh, there are two words here, genuine concern or interest in your text. Both words are interesting. He says, Paul, uh, Timothy is equally sold. He genuinely loves you. Genuinely there is a term that is used for babies born in wedlock. Legitimate, right? So he's saying he's the real deal. A lot of Christians, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. They, they, they want to pray for you. They're meaning, you know, I wish you well and God bless you. Uh, they're not going to go on their knees and, and, and spend some time really praying for you. This guy's the real deal. He doesn't just talk all day long of Christian, 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 church, church, church. He's like, he lives it. So he personalizes in the next word, the interest word there in your text, it means, it means to be anxious. So here's a holy, sanctified worry. He says he has, he personalizes the need so that it becomes as worrisome as if you were his mom or dad. So in other words, you know, when somebody says, hey, pray for my sister-in-law, Marjorie, she's having a real hard time and she's going to see a doctor and it doesn't look good. Who's Marjorie? You know, we feel sad. It sounds serious, uh, but it's so far removed, right? Right. He's saying not Timothy. Timothy will hear a prayer request like that from somebody at Calvary Chapel, Philippi, as I like to call it, and says, hey, pray for Marjorie, my sister-in-law. He says, okay. And when he says, okay, he's generally, he's worried as if Marjorie were his aunt or his mom or his grandma. That's the only way you'll ever pray for anybody worth anything is if you personalize it because you won't pray like you really mean it because it's like so far removed. But if it were your brother, if it was your mother, if it was your baby, oh, the prayer would be different. And that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, Timothy, He's got the fire for you as if you were part of his family and he cares like about you as the Lord would care for you. So those are two words that are pretty important. One writer said this, and we'll move forward. He said, measure your Christian maturity by the measure with which you care about the welfare of your Christian brothers and sisters and the spiritual condition of your church. That will tell you if you're a five-star Christian or not. Because you care about people. You have the compassionate spirit of Jesus Christ in your heart. And you don't even think about how's the church doing here. Or I heard so-and-so is hurting here. And you don't care. Time to reassess there. There's a problem. So what's the bottom line for him? Here's the bomb in verse 21. Uh, the indictment. 
against nominal Christianity that he says most Christians struggle with and that characterizes the church at that time and, and today. It's just a striking statement. Let's read it. Uh, he says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Wow. Well, everyone doesn't include Luke and Aristarchus and these people he's saying with a little bit of hyperbole, a little bit of saying, generally speaking, the way people are by nature is what's important to them is what matters and comes first. And that usually comes ahead of the Lord's concerns. And that's the Bible statement about uh, just the human condition. That's how we are. And it takes us on our knees working to reverse that order that God is first and, and we are second. So he's saying most Christians are not genuinely uh, concerned, they're genuinely distracted by their own interests. You know, uh, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus says, Hey, he's calling people, he's preaching the gospel, and one dude stands up and he says, Okay, yeah, teacher, I'll follow you wherever. And then he says, Let me first. Whoa, you hear that? Let me first. Go and take care of business at home. You know, my dad hasn't passed away yet. It's not going to happen for years. And then after that happens, I get everything settled. Then I'll come follow. And Jesus heard that he, he already knew. Let me first. No, 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 no. He's God of the universe. He says, you, you hear the call. You respond because he's God. That's the way it is. And so what does it mean to put God first? before your own interest. I think we have a difficult problem with that. I think we think it means something it doesn't because, uh, what, ni over 90% of Christians are not in vocational ministry. You've got jobs and lives and families and diapers and babies and laundry. And I, I mean, you've got a secular life and God expects you to, to raise kids and go to school and, get, and work on your career and take vacations and civic responsibilities and pay taxes and have hobbies and have a life. So, but not at the expense of God, a relationship with him, the gospel. Do you see? The gospel and your relationship with him need to be driving all those other things instead of your other things driving your relationship with God and tacking that on in the end. Say, so I'm raising kids, I go to school, I do this, I do that, I do this, and I'm a Christian in that order. It's kind of the way that we're talking about. But to put God first doesn't mean you quit your life and you move up to the Redwoods and become a vocational missionary or, 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 or minister. It means that everything you do, you do in the Lord. You're changing those babies' diapers in, in God's name. And, and sometimes you call on his name, uh, <laughs> depending on what. I have a grandson now. I know these things. And sometimes you do need to call on the Lord for some help. Uh, but, you know, we use our interests that are well and good, and they become stumbling blocks when they come before God's will. Okay, how about this? Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like me throwing a party, God throwing a party. And in the Gospels, invitations, come to the party. It's going to be a good one. It's 
Yeah. It's forever, <laughs> for one thing. Come to the party, and one guy says, oh, I can't, uh, because I just bought five yoke of oxen. In other words, I just bought some tractors for the business, and you know, it's a big deal, so I can't go. Please excuse me. And the next guy, and there's nothing wrong with tractors. You're supposed to buy tractors if you're a farmer, and if you could buy five of them, that's beautiful. But the second that the tractors become more important and the farm becomes more important than God and what God wants you to do and the church and the gospel and eternity, then that thing has become a millstone about your neck and you've lost everything. He says, oh, excuse me, I just bought a field. Nothing wrong with buying a field. There are Bible heroes that are rich who had Joseph... Uh, Barnabas had fields. Nothing wrong with fields, but he says, excuse me, because I'm not going to be at church, and I'm not going to help here, and I'm not going on this trip, and I'm not doing this, because I just invested in this. And this is more important. This decides what I do for God. Oh, that's not well done, good and faithful servant talk. That, that's not, you're not going to hear, go, well done, good and faithful servant, always putting your own interest before mine. You could still be saved, but you're not getting the well done for stuff like that. And there are Christians who do that their whole life. How about this one? I just got married. Sorry. That's what he says in the text, Luke 14. He says, I'd love to come, but you know how it is. We're newlyweds. Hold on. I'm trying to do with my eyebrows something stupid. Using God's blessing, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. God's all for getting married. But the second you use the baby or the wife or the new marriage as an excuse to say, this is what matters to me. And God's concern, God's voice, God's will for my life is behind these things. That's why he's saying everybody does that. Everybody seems to fall into that trap except a few gold star Christians. Timothy's learned. How? Through a lot of work, a lot of need time, a lot of in the scriptures, a lot of success and a lot of failures. Those things have to be learned. The importance of Sunday morning service and all the other things that compete for that. When you get to heaven, you stand before God and he says, so <laughs> was church important to you? Well, I see in the records that it just doesn't seem like it was important. Where were you on all those Sundays? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about some other people. <laughs> because you're, hello, you're in church, right? So how about the budget? You know, I'll decide what I give after my needs. The scriptures say first fruits from the top because it's God you're serving. So it's determined off the top. Not my needs, my needs, my needs, my needs, and oh, whoops, oh, there's just something left over. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Timothy doesn't do that. Epaphroditus doesn't do it. Paul doesn't do it. And this is what we're learning from a non-teaching section of the Bible. <laughs> it was just a little shout out to Karl Barth. From me. All right, so I think we're getting the point here. There is a reward uh, night coming up where Christians attend 
Nobody loses their salvation there because they're all there, they're in heaven. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15 says, he's gonna evaluate our lives for faithfulness. And there, at the end of that, there'll either be reward, which means you will get greater honor and more things to do in God's kingdom that's coming, or you'll forfeit reward and you'll have less to do and there'll be less honor. I mean, nobody's gonna walk around crying in heaven all, but there, that's an element that we have to uh, factor in because he says that's going to happen. I'll tell you what, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're gonna walk away from what is called the Bema seat. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. They're gonna walk away happy campers. Why? Because they learned just a couple things. They're not perfect, right? But they learned a couple things. God first, me second. That was a big one. And the other one said, everything for God. Just, I'm gonna just give my whole heart all the way. And I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my might, right? Those are only two things, but you walk away, you walk away uh, pretty good. So, oh, one last thing. We gotta get to Epaphroditus, what? Okay, uh, <clears throat> like all model Christians, Let's call them gold star Christians, right? You're not a gold star Christian until you come through the fire of affliction, praising the Lord and serving him, all right? So he says, oh, by the way, he's been tested. Oh, oh, yeah, things have gotten hot out there. They threaten our lives, they beat us up. And guess what? He's still here. Uh, they, they have... Uh, thrown us into prison. He's right by my side. You know, we've had disappointments. And check this out. When the ministry team wanted to go right and Timothy wanted to go left, he didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't start gossiping. He didn't uh, cause trouble in the congregation. He didn't pull Luke aside and said, hey, Paul wants to go left. I think we should go right. You know, and, and it's not a matter of sinful issues. It's a matter of just preferences and things like that. He's been tested. They took that guy to, to uh, Corinth. Corinth was like taking Las Vegas and New Orleans and putting them together, all right? And, 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 and he could say, you know, I took that young man down to the strip and we did ministry there and we stayed there and he was on his own. You know what? We checked his phone. We checked his computer. We, we had a, you know, He's morally pure guy. That's who he is. He went through the fires. He didn't cave in morally. There were false teachers coming through. He didn't cave in theologically where, oh, everything's cool now and nobody goes to hell and everybody can live however they want to live and it's okay with God because we're more forgiving than the Apostle Paul, right? We're wiser than the Apostle Paul and more forgiving than Jesus. It's the new gospel, haven't you heard? It puts us first and Jesus second. So you find yourself at the expense of losing yourself. That's the new gospel. So he passed the test and all model Christians, you don't get your five gold stars until God can put you in the fire and you can come out not angry and bitter and mean and upset everybody, but more of a blessing, more godly, praising the Lord. He puts you to the fire and you say, should we accept only the good things from God and not the bad, Brother Job? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
if you come through your fire and you're able to say that, you're going to be a role model for everybody else. Okay, Epaphroditus. But I think it's necessary. Okay, you're not getting Timothy. <laughs> I'm sending you back Epaphroditus, okay? And, and, and just so you know, scholars say, okay, we've got to dig deeper because it sounds like Paul's defending him. He's the dude who brought the love offering and, and, and a care package from Calvary Chapel Philippi. He was the dude who, who brought that to Paul that's now kind of the impetus for the letter, all right? So he's the one who came and said, hey, Paul, we got some funds for you to take care of you and all of that. Now, now something went wrong. There's some misunderstanding, and they're not happy at the church about this dude. Because listen, this is a guy they know and love, and they trusted him to, to bring the offering 800 miles to uh, Rome. But I think it necessary to send you back, Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is, by the way, your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was sick. Yeah, he was sick, he almost died, but God healed him. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, I'm sending him, so that when you see him again, you should be glad, and, have, and I can have less anxiety. Welcome him home? Welcome him home? Why would he say that? That's why scholars go, red flag, something's wrong. Welcome a guy you already sent who's the loving part of the congregation. Welcome him home in the Lord with great joy and honor guys like, like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me. That's a jab. That's a little jab right there. And say, by the way, he was doing something. He put himself in harm's way to serve me in a way that apparently none of you all were available for. That's what he's doing. And why is he doing that? There's a couple reasons. First, let's talk about Epaphroditus, a.k.a. Pappy. <laughs> I like naming people with pet names, and that's what I would call them, but I think I, I should not do that. All right. Epaphroditus, all right. He's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Here, in these five verses, and in chapter 4, where it says that he's the man who brought the care package to sustain Paul back in ancient times, in prison. You didn't have television. You didn't get provided a mattress, sheets, and pillows, and a laundry service. You didn't get provided clothing. You didn't have a gymnasium, a library, or, or uh, air conditioning. You didn't get anything. No food, no soap, no clothes, no pillow. Nothing. Unless somebody on the outside brought you money. Where are they all? Where is everybody? Paul says in chapter four, you're the only church that has helped me. He had a special thing with the Philippians. And most scholars say it's Lydia, the woman of the seller of purple cloth who got saved by Riverside some 15 years earlier. She was a woman of means. And they, they believe that she, and she had the church in her house, that she's behind sending. So they had a church meeting. 
And they said, well, we know Paul's in prison. He's our founding pastor. Lydia's like, come on, pass the plate around. And they take a love offering. Who's going to spend six-week journey, six weeks, and 800 miles to go deliver this to the apostle Paul? Epaphroditus. Because that's what he is. It's the Apostle Paul. It's God. You don't think Epaphroditus had a family and stuff to do for the next six weeks? You don't think Epaphroditus had a job and bills to pay? He did, but what was he thinking? The Lord probably touched his heart, and he's thinking, oh, man, I don't know how that would work, but God first and me second. So he's like, here I am. Use me. Does it work? You know? Here's what he did. 800 miles from Rome. Uh, the Romans were famous for their highways, and so there's uh, uh, Via Ignatia and the, uh, the, the road to lead to... Okay, so they cut through uh, Italy, and then they land at right where, the, the, where landfall would be is um, Albania, and then right where the V starts uh, is all Greece, modern-day Greece. So Philippi is in modern-day Greece. So he travels from Italy to Greece, takes six weeks uh, and 800 miles. Now, what happened? Well, Pappy got sick, right? And six weeks turned into eight weeks. And here's where the scholars say the misunderstanding happened. Six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, no word. What's going on? All that money. Oh, suspicions, failure. Oh, he's sick. Oh, man, he gets like a little tummy ache or, you know, so he doesn't make it. Now he's a burden to the apostle Paul. He doesn't show up. We put a lot of money in there. And so they're disappointed. There's a little rumor, you know, he's got the sniffles. And, and you know, maybe he stopped in Athens and took in a show, you know, <clears throat> on their money. Whatever happened, they're not happy. And they think he's failed. And so Paul has to defend him. Listen to what one scholar said. Here's a Bible hero who's willing to drop what he's doing set out on an international journey in service to God, the Apostle Paul, and almost dies in the process, the Lord entrusts this guy to carry the only copy of Philippians that ever existed then back safely to the Philippians, and Paul has to practically beg them to go easy on him. Christian, listen, are you a merciful person? Just ask yourself, and maybe ask someone who can tell you the answer to that. Are you a merciful person? Or, or are you a person who says, oh yeah, where was he? He's probably a burden to Paul. You know, I knew we shouldn't have given him the money. Are you merciful? Are you gracious? Are you kind? We need to be that. We've been shown mercy. We've been shown grace. God has forgiven us all of a lifetime of sinning. And when, when somebody doesn't measure up or it seems like it, I mean, here's a, just a misunderstanding, what happened. So now, because Christians are generally not that way. They're just not. So he has to go say, first of all, he's my brother. He's, we've got the same father. We've got that warm love for each other. Then he goes on to say, my fellow worker, there's a job to do. It speaks of a job to do. 
and he's working hard. Fellow soldier, he's put his life out there, you know, vulnerable, and he got sick. And he's your messenger. You chose him. That word there is apostle. He's your missionary. You trusted him. You love him. And, and then he's your minister to me, it says in the Greek, to take care of my needs. And so five epitaphs there that just say, look at this guy's a good guy. He's distressed because he cares about you and you're, you, know, he, you heard about the problem and God had mercy, right? And so he says, I want to send him to you. Welcome him, honor him, don't treat him like a second-class citizen. Just, I just ask myself, am I, am I merciful? Or do I jump to conclusion, just can't wait to hammer somebody because where were you? We were waiting. Come on, there was a deadline. The apostle Paul's important to us. Come on. And it wasn't even true. What happened to him? He probably got malaria. You die of malaria. You can die of malaria. He could have gotten dysentery. You die of dysentery. You don't go to Kaiser and get antibiotics and, and everything's okay because when you got a germ back in the day, you died of that. So he got a germ and he shows up. He's pale, he's feverish, he's sick, but he shows up. He finishes the job. And that's why he says he's a hero, man. He didn't fail. He gets there. He's trembling. He's got the sweats and the fever, but he's made it to there. And then uh, Paul lays hands on him, probably. He's the gift of healing. And the guy recovers. And he says, this, this is Epaphroditus, a guy who should be welcomed, a guy you should honor, not a guy you should judge harshly like that because he put his life on the line. How many people in that uh, prayer meeting, when they said, hey, who's willing to take the love offering to Paul, how many people almost raised their hand? You know, I, I know, I'm going to meet someone in heaven who's going to say, hey, Epaphroditus was the guy who went and he, and he took Philippians, the first letter of Philippians, he, and he's going to say, I had my hand halfway up. You know, I was halfway up, and then I saw Epaphroditus go, and I'm like, whatever, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus can do it, you know. You probably, you know, it probably gets sick. It's probably going to be an arduous journey. But, you know, what about the almost? I almost. I almost. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these. I might have been. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these. It could have been. Oh, it's right there. And there are only two little mottos here. God first, me second, getting right priorities, and then giving everything, you know, not being perfect, but being totally his, which reminds me of my closing illustration. Uh, years ago, kids are little. I wanted to go to Starbucks, read my Bible, just spend a little quiet time. And I couldn't find my Bible. And uh, Jordan's kid's Bible was by the door. And I grabbed it, and I ran out. And I'm sitting at Starbucks. I'm drinking my coffee. My Bible's sitting there. And, and a guy who, you know, he just looks like he just worked out, came from the gym, just a big guy, you know. He walked over. Now, the, the children's Bible that I had <laughs> was, uh, had little Bo Peep on it. <laughs> 
and it had a big fluffy sheep on it, and he was sitting, little Bo Peep standing there. I forget the name of that Bible. What's anyway, uh, she's standing there, and it's got a, you open it up, it's white, and you open it up, and it's all pink, right? So this dude, this dude comes over, and he's like, hey, are you Christian? Is that a Bible? And I'm like, sort of. <laughs> First of all, how many times does anyone come over and want to see your Bible, right? And does it have to be a dude from 24-hour Nautilus, you know, come over, you know? So, yeah, he comes over, and he's in 10. He wants to know. He says, is that a Bible? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm leaning on it. And, 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 he, and he goes, what version is it? I'm like, why do you even care? Go back to the barbells, man. So I had to uncover it, and it says there, and I said it out loud. I looked at him, and I said, his lamb I am. <laughs> so I had to explain to him, look, I couldn't find my black Bible, my manly Bible. And I had to grab this. It was an emergency. And I started thinking about it. And over the years, you know how a little dumb little thing will happen? And then you, it just stays with you. And like I, I say his lamb I am a lot, just as a joke to cheer myself up, apparently. <laughs> and I'll, I'll say it in the funniest ways, right? But I started, I say it when I feel I've blown it or I can't measure up or I'm feeling insecure, or I look at two role models like that and say, what a mess I am. I'm like everybody else. I put my own interests first a lot of times, but I belong to him 100%. And the lesson of Epaphroditus is his lamb I am, 100%. That's the key, is that I may be a mess, but I'm his mess. 100% of this mess belongs to him. And he's responsible for that. And when I live, I live as 100% as much as I can to him because his lamb, I am. And my beloved, he is mine. And his banner over me and us is love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we just thank you just for... Two examples of godly lives, not perfect, but just perfectly surrendered to you for the most part. And we're inspired to be like that, Lord. Change our hearts, help us to be inspired, Lord, not just today, but in the days to come uh, to do what we've been reading about, to put you first, in your interest first, always, <laughs> and to give you our all. And those two things make such a difference, Lord. And Father, as we remember your death on our behalf this morning, what a perfect time, because we've all fallen so short and sinned in the, these areas, so what a great time to have a reset moment, to confess that we have put our own interests before yours and not given everything and held back a lot and done our own thing to our own uh, to our own hurt 
So we pray, Father, now as we consider your death on our behalf and confess our sins, that you'd renew us, comfort us, and give us that hope and inspiration to make some changes by cooperating with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.